Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young, and let's look at today's weather forecast first thing. This one coming from KCRG. It's titled Warm Valentine's Day, a couple of storm systems with some snow potential to follow. Mother Nature's gift to us all on Valentine's Day is another pleasant set of conditions, but things become more active as soon as tonight. Your Wednesday morning will start out a lot like Tuesday morning, with temperatures in the 20s and fairly light winds. A patch of low clouds is slowly moving through areas along and north of U.S. Highway 20 early, though many areas will see sunshine break out for a while this morning. All of us will see clouds increase as the day goes on, turning quite a bit grayer by sunset. A southerly breeze and the sunshine we're expecting will push temperatures into the upper 40s to low 50s today. An isolated shower may arrive late this afternoon or into the evening, though the bulk of the precipitation with a storm system moving through the region will wait until about 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock p.m. That's when a fairly widespread area of rain will form in central and western Iowa and move into the area. Folks south of Highway 20 should expect mostly rain for most of this event, with those north of Highway 20 seeing at least a rain-snow mix or just snow at times. Precipitation will be at its heaviest between about 10 p.m. and 2 o'clock a.m. tomorrow morning ending in the early morning hours of Friday for most. A trace to an inch of snow could stick along and north of Highway 20 corridor, with the best chance for the inch of accumulation coming the closer you get to the Minnesota border. In these areas, some slick roadways will be possible, especially during the nighttime hours. While at least a few snowflakes could be seen as far south as U.S. Highway 30, as the precipitation wraps up, accumulation there seems unlikely due to air temperatures near freezing and ground temperatures generally above it. Clouds will move out of the area early on Thursday, leading to a mostly sunny day. Northwesterly winds will be notably breezier, though, and will be pulling in a chillier air mass with them, highs in the upper 30s to low 40s. The next storm system will arrive quickly, giving us a shot at some snow by as soon as Thursday night. This area of low pressure will take a somewhat more southerly track than the first one, making areas along and south of Highway 20 the more favored location for precipitation and a snow that sticks. It does appear that some minor accumulation will be possible for those areas through Friday morning. As a result, some slick roads could develop where snow falls for the Friday morning commute, so consider the potential for a longer drive to work or school for the last day of the week. After this system exits, breezy conditions will persist and continue to pull in cooler air. Highs will be limited to the upper 20s to low 30s on Friday and Saturday, with overnight lows hitting the low to mid-10s on Saturday morning. While a sharp contrast to recent conditions, these temperatures will be very close to normal for this time of the month. 
It does appear that mostly clear skies will stick with us throughout the weekend, which does help make things a bit warmer. And, if you don't like the cooler air, you won't have to wait long for it to be replaced by well above normal temperatures once again. A warming trend kicks into gear by Sunday and continues through the middle of the following week. Highs will first return to the 40s, with 50s becoming increasingly likely on Tuesday and Wednesday. Mostly quiet conditions will go along with this warm-up. Now we have two articles on the front page of The Courier to read today. The first one is titled, Schools Could Arm Trained Staff. House Bill would also require some districts to hire armed guards and officers. Tom Barton of The Courier's Des Moines Bureau wrote this story, and the dateline is Des Moines. We begin with a photograph of two police officers in combat gear who responded to the Perry High School shooting on January 4th. House Republican lawmakers advanced a bill through a subcommittee Monday to create a pathway for Iowa school districts to arm trained staff. The legislation would also require Iowa's 11 largest school districts, among them Cedar Rapids, Davenport, Council Bluffs, Iowa City, Sioux City, and Waterloo, to have at least one private security guard or school resource officer in each district high school. Quote, the fastest way to respond to a school shooting is to have armed personnel on site, trained and available to respond at a moment's notice, said Representative Phil Thompson, a Republican from Boone, lead sponsor of the bill and chair of the House Public Safety Committee. Quote, with this bill, we create a new permit with a strict training regimen that will result in more men and women in school buildings ready to respond to keep students safe, said Thompson, who voted Monday along with Representative Schuyler Wheeler, a Republican from Hull, to advance the bill to the full House Public Safety Committee. Wheeler also chairs the House Education Committee. The move comes in the wake of a shooting last month at Perry High School that killed 11-year-old Amir Joliffe, a 6th grader, and the principal, Dan Marburger. Six other people were injured in the shooting. The 17-year-old student who opened fire died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. Marburger was critically injured during the January 4th attack, which began in the school's cafeteria as students were gathering for breakfast before class. The longtime Iowa principal has been hailed as a hero for sacrificing his life to save students. The day after the shooting, the State Department of Public Safety said Marburger, quote, acted selflessly and placed himself in harm's way in an apparent effort to protect his students. Law enforcement, family members, and school officials have said Marburger approached and tried to calm the teenage gunman, giving the other students time to escape. Representative Beth Wessel Grossel, a Democrat from Ames, voted against the bill, saying students would be less safe. Opponents said an armed teacher is much more likely to shoot a student bystander or be shot by responding law enforcement than to be an effective solution to an active shooter in a school. Wessel Kroschel noted the only armed school resource officer 
at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, failed to confront the school shooter and stayed outside during the February 2018 massacre. Quote, people who are fully trained, fully trained, and that's their job, have a hard time protecting our students. We are asking teachers who have a completely different skill set to do this, she said. Lawmakers should instead pursue an evidence-based intervention plan that addresses school gun violence, Wessel Kroschel said. Most professional education organizations have rejected the call to arm teachers, as has the National Association of School Resource Officers and the American Bar Association. House Study Bill 675, titled the, quote, Students First Safety Act, would create a new permit that allows employees at Iowa's public and private schools and colleges to carry a firearm. Employees would be required to undergo a one-time in-person legal training, including training on qualified immunity, annual emergency medical training, and annual communication training approved by the Iowa Department of Public Safety. This bill would also require the Department of Public Safety to host an annual live scenario training and quarterly live firearm training for school employees of educational institutes that opt into the program. School staff issued a professional permit to carry weapons by the Department of Public Safety, who are up-to-date on their training, would also, quote, be entitled to qualified immunity from criminal or civil liability for all damages incurred pursuant to the application of reasonable force at the place of employment, unquote. The bill does not specify which type of firearms staff would be allowed to carry, who would supply the firearms to school staff, or how they would be secured and stored. The Spirit Lake and Cherokee School District rescinded policies last summer, allowing trained staff to carry guns within the schools, which Iowa law already allows, to avoid being dropped by their insurance carrier after attempts to find other insurers failed. District officials cited the 2022 mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, as one of the reasons for wanting to arm staff. The district's insurance carrier, EMC Insurance Company, said it insures districts that provide qualified law enforcement officers in school, but that coverage does not extend to armed teachers or school staff. Some supporters of the bill said providing qualified immunity, insulating armed school staff from legal liability, will help, while others said the insurance issue still needs to be addressed for districts that wish to move forward with selecting, training, and equipping armed staff. Angela Olson, the Director of Special Projects for the Spirit Lake School District, said her district had armed staff for six months before rescinding the program after struggling to find an insurance carrier. Olson said having a school resource officer in the high school isn't enough. Catherine Lucas, a lawyer with the Iowa Department of Public Safety, told lawmakers the agency has a lot of unanswered questions about the bill, like what kind of weapons would school staff be allowed to carry and who would do the required training for the armed school staff. 
HSB 675, also mandates that school districts with a student population of at least 8,000 are required to have at least one armed private security guard or school resource officer in each district high school. School districts would not receive additional funding to cover the cost, but could apply for up to $50,000 in financial assistance through a new school security personnel grant program that would be established by the Iowa Department of Education. For districts with a student population of less than 8,000, it would be optional to require armed security at high schools. Democrats and gun safety advocates panned the measure. Quote, the more guns that are coming into the equation, the more volatility and the more risk there is of someone getting hurt, said Hannah Hayes, a senior at Roosevelt High School in Des Moines. Speaking on behalf of Students Demand Action, a student-led group advocating to end gun violence. Hayes said the bill fails to provide adequate training for armed school staff and that its provision of qualified immunity to armed school personnel raises concerns about accountability and oversight. Quote, As a student myself, I can tell you that adding more guns to schools is not going to make me safer, she said. It takes resources away from actual solutions such as mental health support, conflict resolution programs, and other preventable measure, and impacts the learning environment by making us feel like we're living in a war zone and not at school, unquote. Parents, law enforcement, and school superintendents from rural communities, as well as gun rights activists, said while school resource officers play an important role in Iowa schools, it is unrealistic to expect a single police officer is always going to be at the right place at the right time, should tragedy strike. They noted the Perry Community School District employs a full-time school resource officer and said rural districts do not have the same access to fully staffed police or sheriff's departments as those in urban Iowa. Quote, the people who were carrying in our district love our kids, know our kids. They're willing to put their lives on the line to protect kids that are not their own. Spirit Lake Superintendent David Smith said, All I'm asking is to give those people a chance to go home to their families, unlike the Perry principle, unquote. Panora Police Chief Matt Rising and superintendents of Panora Community Schools and Interstate 35 Community School District in Truro voiced similar support for the bill. Separate legislation, House Study Bill 692, aims to bolster school security infrastructure, and the bill would do the following. Require schools to complete a comprehensive review of their safety and emergency response plans and submit the review to law enforcement before the 2024-25 school year, and create a fund to install radios capable of accessing the statewide interoperable communication system in all school buildings that don't currently have them. The radio system helped law enforcement coordinate its response to the shooting at Perry High School and implement firearm detection software in three Iowa schools through a pilot program and establish a task force 
to create recommended school safety standards in building code and require schools starting in 2026 to meet these school safety standards before using any safe funds on athletic facility projects. Quote, our kids and teachers deserve the gold standard when it comes to safety in our schools, said Representative David Young, a Republican from Van Meter, who co-sponsored the bill with Representative Carter Nordman of Panora. Quote, right now, these school safety building standards do not exist, Young said in a statement, but we can fix this and give our students, staff, and parents the safety they deserve, unquote. Iowans speak out on gender legislation. Hearing draws boisterous crowd to Capitol in protest. Tom Barton of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau wrote this, and the story begins with a photograph of protesters carrying signs in the Iowa State Capitol Rotunda Monday as lawmakers hold a public hearing on a bill that would allow transgender people to be excluded from sex-segregated spaces and require a transgender person's sex at birth to be listed on their birth certificate, as well as any gender reassignment treatment. And the signs that are being held up read, Let queer people exist. Trans rights equal human rights. We will not go back. Dateline Des Moines. Chanting again filled and echoed the halls Monday of the Iowa Capitol for a third straight week as transgender Iowans and civil rights and LGBTQ advocates decried a bill that would define man and woman in state law, as well as require changes to birth certificates and government collection of data. House lawmakers held a public hearing Monday evening on Governor Kim Reynolds' proposal to change how the state addresses sex and gender identity. Reynolds's bill would define man and woman based on a person's sex at birth. House File 2389 was amended and advanced last week by Republicans on the House Education Committee. They removed the part of the bill that would have required transgender Iowans to include their sex assigned at birth on their driver's licenses. Sex change information would still be required on birth certificates. Transgender Iowans called the proposal discriminatory, arguing it would lead to the erasure of transgender and non-binary people from Iowa Code. House Education Committee Chair Schuyler Wheeler, a Republican from Hull, paused the hearing several times to let noise subside from a large crowd of protesters who packed the hallway outside the committee room and chanted, quote, You will not erase us, along with profanity. More than 100 people were signed up to speak during the hearing, but only 24 were able to talk during the hour-long hearing. Speakers were limited to two minutes each and alternated between those in favor of the bill and those opposed. Reynolds, in the statement last week, called her legislation common sense, and said it protects women's spaces and rights. She compared it with a state law passed in 2022 that prohibits transgender girls and women from competing in girls' and women's athletics in schools. Supporters said women and men possess unique biological differences and that defining a woman in code has become necessary 
to protect spaces for women's health, safety, and privacy that are being threatened, like domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers. Quote, it is legislation based on biological truth. God created woman and man, period, said Denise Bubeck, a member of the conservative The Family Leader Church Ambassador Network. Quote, as a grandmother of a beautiful granddaughter, I want her to grow up in a world where she is clearly defined and protected by her biological sex, unquote. Bubik asserted, quote, females are losing safe spaces, while biological men are gaining access to sororities, women's prisons, domestic violence shelters, and rape centers. Quote, women and girls who speak truth on biological differences of male and female are getting silenced and canceled, she said. This must stop. This bill does not curb the right of others. It simply makes the law recognize the biological differences between the sexes and protects their rights, unquote. However, requiring government-run or funded domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers to treat transgender women inconsistent with their gender identity would conflict with federal law that prohibits discrimination based on gender identity and put federal funds at risk, said Max Mowitz with the LGBTQ advocacy group One Iowa. Both the Iowa Coalition Against Sexual Assault and the Iowa Coalition Against Domestic Violence are registered opposed to the bill. LGBTQ and civil rights advocates said the bill is another broad attack on transgender Iowans and that its use of pro-segregation language should raise alarm. Reynolds's bill echoes language associated with the 1896 U.S. Supreme Court decision in the case of Plessy v. Ferguson, which declared segregation on the basis of race to be legal. The governor's bill says the term equal does not mean same and that, quote, separate accommodations are not inherently unequal, unquote. It mentions prisons, domestic violence shelters, locker rooms, restrooms, and rape crisis centers as places where people may need to be separated based on their sex assigned at birth. Amy Wichtendahl, a Hiawatha City Council member who is Iowa's first openly transgender elected official, called the bill a full frontal assault on the civil rights of transgender Iowans. Wichtendahl and others wore pink triangles, symbolizing those sewn into the shirts of gay men in concentration camps in Nazi Germany, while transgender Iowans and their allies chanted that Republican lawmakers advancing the bill are fascists. Quote, it is the first effort by a state government to reinstitute a separate but equal since the 1960s, she said. Quote, and it is the most brazen effort by our governor to erase trans and queer people from Iowa, unquote. Wichtendahl said, in the 17 years since gender identity was added to Iowa's Civil Rights Act, there have been few to no incidents of transgender individuals or men pretending to be transgender, harassing or attacking women in domestic violence shelters, locker rooms, restrooms, and rape crisis centers, 
or other places where people can be separated based on their sex at birth. Quote, I would ask our governor to stop gaslighting Iowans, she said. Brenna Young, a lawyer, said the language in the bill, quote, is vague, confusing, and it will lead to unintended consequences, unquote. The bill defines a female as a person whose biological reproduction system is developed to produce ova, and a male as a person whose biological reproduction system is developed to fertilize the ova of the female. Quote, the term woman or girl refers to a female, and the term man or boy refers to a male. The section continues, quote, Many women have reproductive conditions where their reproductive systems are not developed to produce ova, Young told lawmakers. This bill specifically erases you. You are not a woman anymore under this bill, Young said. Intersex people who were born with sex characteristics that do not fall under male or female are not explicitly mentioned in the legislation as well. Bill supporter and Iowa parent Amber Williams quoted a line from the movie Kindergarten Cop, where a six-year-old boy states, quote, Boys have a penis and girls have a vagina. Today, that truth is being twisted by a gender ideology experiment promoted to our children, Williams said. This indoctrination has fueled identity confusion and has created a crisis that ignores two sexes are meant by divine design to be different and complementary, unquote. Williams echoed Reynolds's stating, quote, We as women should not have to share our safe spaces with a man, period, ever. This not only violates our privacy, but also places our safety at risk, unquote. Speaker Courtney Collier said the privacy and safety of girls are being disregarded. Collier said, quote, People can choose to live in their delusions and confusions in their own lives at home, but the rest of us should not be forced to join them, unquote. The bill is eligible for debate and a vote on the House floor. Now, in high school boys' wrestling, state championship preview, Chasing History, Waterloo East's Max Megana set to go for fourth state title, Dateline Des Moines. It would surprise few people if somebody needs to wake Max Megana up from a nap inside Wells Fargo Arena before his first round match at the state wrestling championship today. If the Waterloo East senior, one of two wrestlers chasing a fourth state title this week, is feeling any pressure of his quest for the state immortality, he's not showing it. Quote, I feel like he's relaxed, Trojan head coach Chris Timms said. We are just trying to keep it as a typical day at the office. We aren't approaching this week any differently than we have any other week. Quote, that is how Max is treating it. He has not acted any differently leading up to this than he has all season, unquote. Tim's said most of the talk he and Magena have had in recent days is about objectives, but they haven't been obsessive about it either. Magena, a North Dakota State signee, and Waukee Northwest 138-pound senior Carter Friedman, a UNI recruit, are seeking to become the 33rd and 34th four-time 
state champions in Iowa wrestling history. For Magena, who won his first three titles at Columbus Catholic, he'd join an even more elite list. No city in the state of Iowa has more individual state champions than the city of Waterloo, with 162 combined between Waterloo Central, Columbus Catholic, Waterloo East, Waterloo Orange, and Waterloo West. But the city has only one four-time state champion, Joe Gibbons, who won the first two of his four titles for Columbus before transferring to Ames. And now, listeners, we just want to take a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 14th on IRIS, that's I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, let's turn to the opinion section. Our first editorial comes to us from the Storm Lake Times pilot, written by editor Art Cullen. The title is, Dog Catches Bumper. For years and years, Republicans demanded increased border security before there could be any comprehensive immigration reform. A bipartisan group of senators delivered on those demands with a border bill that increases electronic and physical barriers, beefs up enforcement and processing staffing, and severely limits requests for asylum. It was all the things that Senator Chuck Grassley has insisted on for so long. The dog caught the bumper. Speaker Mike Johnson declared the Senate compromise dead on arrival in the House before the Senate negotiators even unveiled it. Donald Trump condemned it because it would take away his primary fear-mongering device. It all happened in just a week. To cap it off, Speaker Johnson called for a vote on impeaching Homeland Security Director Alejandro Mayorkas without bothering to count heads first, and the impeachment vote failed. The House Republicans rejected a border security bill they have demanded for 20 years or more, and then botched an attempt to fire the chief immigration official for not securing the border. These are not serious legislators. Governor Kim Reynolds, in her uncanny sense of timing, is sending the National Guard down to Texas again to show them how it's done, right when Republicans are exposing their legislative incompetence to the nation. Priceless. You wouldn't know that there are hogs awaiting slaughter and cows needing milked by the immigrants who find security in northwest Iowa. We could probably take a couple buses full of Venezuelans if the Texas governor would send them our way instead of New York or Chicago. Sue Sender might take a few. Looks like there is plenty of room in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Lots of work, but so few hands. Rural America is emptying out of working-age people, which eventually will hollow out what manufacturing base we have. Denison needs workers. Marshalltown, too. Algona is welcoming Cubans. Representative Randy Feenstra voted to impeach Mayorkas. He stands with the Speaker, declaring compromise over border security dead. Yet the dairy barns in Sioux County, owned by his donors, 
are full of those immigrants doing the work that the white boys won't do anymore. Republican senators are walking away from their leader, Mitch McConnell, who tried to get the border deal done. This is not the work of Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi. It is Randy Feenstra, Chuck Grassley, and Mike Johnson, who do not know how to drive this buggy. Meanwhile, we have work to get done here while they exercise themselves in failure. Now from the New York Times, Jamel Bowie. Trump is losing it. It is unclear whether Donald Trump has forgotten the precise nature of NATO or whether he ever fully grasped it in the first place. What is clear, however, is that Trump, who ostensibly spent four years as President of the United States, has little clue of what NATO is or what NATO does. And when he spoke on the subject at a rally in South Carolina over the weekend, what he said was less a cogent discussion of foreign policy than it was gibberish, the kind of outrageous nonsense that flows without interruption from an empty and unreflective mind. Quote, One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, Well, sir, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? Trump said, recalling an implausible conversation with an unnamed, presumably European, head of state. Quote, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? Trump recounted, responding. Quote, no, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay. You gotta pay your bills, unquote. The former president's message was clear. If NATO members do not pay up, then he will leave them to the mercy of a continental aggressor who has already plunged one European country into death, destruction, and devastation. Except, NATO isn't a mafia protection racket. NATO, in case anyone needs to be reminded, is a mutual defense organization formed by treaty in 1949 as tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union hardened into conflict. Quote, the parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all, states Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty. According to the terms of an agreement reached last year, member states will work to spend at least 2% of national GDP on military investment. But let's set this bit of fact-checking aside for a moment and look at the big picture. It is not just that Trump is ignorant on this and other vital questions. It is that he is incoherent. Consider his remarks at a recent gathering of the National Rifle Association in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Quote, We have to win in November, or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going to change the name of Pennsylvania, Trump said. Who exactly is going to change the name of Pennsylvania? And to what? I don't know. I doubt Trump does either. Or consider the time, last November, when Trump confused China and North Korea, telling an audience of supporters in Florida that Kim Jong-un leads 1.4 billion people, and there is no doubt about who the boss is, and they want me to say he's not an intelligent man, unquote. There was also the time that Trump mistook Nikki Haley, 
his former ambassador to the United States, for Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House. Quote, Nikki Haley, you know they, do you know they destroyed all the information, all of the evidence, everything deleted and destroyed, all of it, all of it, because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people, soldiers, National Guard, whatever they want. They turned it down. They don't want to talk about that. These are very dishonest people, unquote. Trump said that, repeating his false claim that Pelosi was responsible for the failure of the Capitol security on January 6th. If you would like, you can also try to make sense of the former president's recent attempt to describe a missile defense system. Quote, I will build an iron dome over our country, a state-of-the-art missile defense shield made in the USA, Trump said, before taking an unusual detour. Quote, These are not muscle guys here. They're muscle guys up here, right? He continued, gesturing to his arms and his head to emphasize, I guess, that people responsible for building such systems are capable and intelligent. Quote, And they calmly walk to us and ding, 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 ding. They've only got 17 seconds to figure this whole thing out. Boom. Okay, missile launch. Whoosh. Boom. Trump added. I assume Trump is describing the pressure of actually manning a missile defense system. Even so, one would think that a former president, currently vying to be next president, would at least try to be a little more articulate. But this gets to one of the oddest things about this election cycle so far. There is no shortage of coverage of President Biden's age, even if there's no evidence that his age has been an obstacle to his ability to perform his duties. Indeed, it is plainly true that Biden has an unusually successful president in areas like legislative negotiations that require skill and mental acuity. Coverage of Biden's age, in other words, has more to do with the vibes of a, quote, elderly president, as he isn't as outwardly vigorous and robust as we would like, than it does with any particular issue with his performance. In contrast to the obsessive coverage of Biden's age, there is comparatively little coverage of Trump's obvious deficiencies in that department. If we are going to use public comments as the measure of mental fitness, then the former president is clearly at a disadvantage. Unfortunately for Biden, Trump benefits from something akin to the soft bigotry of low expectations, because no one expected him in the 2016 election to speak and behave like a normal candidate. Trump was held to a lower effective standard than his rivals in both parties, because no one expected him during his presidency to be orderly and responsible, his endless scandals were framed as business as usual, and because no one now expects him to be a responsible political figure with a coherent vision for the country, it's as if no one blinks an eye when he rants and raves on the campaign trail. It's not that there aren't legitimate reasons to be concerned about Biden's age. He is already the oldest person to serve in the Oval Office. The issue here 
is one of proportion and consequence. Biden may be unable to do the job at some point in the future. Trump, it seems to me, already is. One of those is a lot more concerning than the other. Next is an editorial written by Rika Basu of the Des Moines Register titled, Kim Reynolds scrambles to make Iowa less welcoming, leaving real needs unmet. Why Reynolds insists on imposing gender norms on every Iowan matters less than the impact of her actions. She needs to hear how this is hurting people and driving them out of Iowa. And here's the text. The long list of actions Iowa's governor has taken in recent years to ban almost anything pertaining to transgender people might leave some to conclude that she has an unhealthy obsession with gender identity. But it would be reckless to publicly ascribe a personal motivation to an elected official's acts in office without adequate proof, which is also why Governor Kim Reynolds has no standing to create new legal definitions of males and females under Iowa law. Her effort lacks scientific basis, social and cultural context, and, most of all, need. Yet no sooner had the state capitol erupted in cheers from hundreds of attendees responding to the early death of a House bill, House File 2082, to scrap gender identity protection from Iowa civil rights law, then Reynolds was pushing her measure to redefine men and women. The governor cannot, with a stroke of the pen, wipe out what centuries of history, decades of civil rights struggle, and growing medical and psychological awareness tell us. The World Health Organization recently announced it's developing evidence-based guidelines on caring for the health of trans and gender-diverse people. That includes promoting health policies that support gender-inclusive care and legal recognition of self-determined gender identity, unquote. It includes training health care workers to provide the requisite care, including hormones. The WHO also warns against the negative health impacts of harmful gender norms, especially those related to rigid notions of masculinity, which can contribute to, quote, boys and men perpetrating violence, unquote. It says imposing rigid gender norms on people with diverse gender identities can subject them to violence, stigma, and discrimination, putting them at higher risk of HIV and mental health problems, including suicide. The American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry has criticized so-called conversion or reparative therapies purported to alter same-sex attractions or an individual's gender expression, unquote. It says those interventions are, quote, provided under the false premise that homosexuality and gender-diverse identities are pathological. They are not, unquote. Some of Reynolds' more public moves on this issue took shape back in 2022, when seven parents represented by the national group Parents Defending Education, sued the Linmar School District for affirming the rights of transgender students. The governor held a secret meeting with dissatisfied 
district parents, and emerged with her campaign to privatize Iowa public schools. She lobbied to ban books relevant to transgender identities from school libraries and prevent classroom instruction on gender identity or sexual orientation until the seventh grade. Passed last year, Senate File 496 requires parents to be notified if a student asks to use new pronouns and bans books depicting sex acts from schools, with two exemptions, for human growth and development curricula and, seriously, religious publications, including the Bible. Fortunately, parts of that law have been blocked by a federal judge, but not before hundreds of books have been removed from Iowa school libraries. The state has appealed. The governor's bill defining male and female also defines mother and father, essentially erasing same-sex couples as parents. It says, separate is not inherently unequal. Remember, quote, separate but equal was used to justify separate drinking water fountains and schools in the South. Reynolds touts the bill as protecting women's spaces and rights. Ironic, since she has worked to undermine women's reproductive rights and hasn't exactly gone to bat for keeping gender balance on state boards and commissions. If only she'd feel the same urgency about protecting school children from gun violence or hunger. Instead, she rejected federal EBT funds allotted at $40 per low-income child per summer month, declaring it not sustainable. Why won't she spend as much energy working to increase the number of rural school counselors or psychologists per student, from its current ratio of 1 to 345, or ensure that every Iowa student interested in college can access in-state tuition at public institutions? Instead, the punitive new house file 2128 would require Iowa students to be U.S. citizens or be able to show visas to get in-state tuition at Regents' universities, instead of more punitive or preachy education bills. One would force every teacher and student to sing the national anthem, or part of it, every day. Why don't the governor and the Republican-dominated legislature get proactive and offer tuition assistance to students to enter fields where Iowa has a shortage, like medicine and mental health. Instead, they scramble to shut students out of their preferred bathrooms and sports teams, spend public tax dollars with students to private, in Iowa mostly religious, schools. Some would downsize area education agencies that work with school districts to cater to students with disabilities. Reynolds's latest bill fails to acknowledge that gender identity and sexual orientation aren't choices or pathologies. Outing children to their parents could result in their being punished or cast out of their homes. Lawmakers' attacks on these populations is likely to undermine students' self-worth and ratchet up the drug abuse and overdoses Reynolds claims to be sending National Guard troops down south to fight. Why Reynolds insists on imposing gender norms on every Iowan matters less than the impact of her actions. 
She needs to hear how this is hurting people and driving them out of Iowa. Some of us might choose to sing the national anthem if our state leaders were living up to the Constitution's promise of equality and justice for all, if they would acknowledge and celebrate Iowa's own legacy of struggles toward that outcome, instead of driving more wedges between us. A note to the listener, Rika Basu is a longtime syndicated columnist, editorial writer, and reporter whose work has appeared in all but two U.S. states. She retired in 2022 as a columnist for the Des Moines Register. Here's another editorial from the Des Moines Register, this one written by Steve Westerberg. Iowa proposes to allow armed teachers. That gun culture response would make things worse. Isn't it enough that we have students as young as six years old enduring the trauma of active shooter safety drills? Do we need to replicate the security measures of prisons to make children safe? And now to the text. I incorrectly assumed the tragic school shooting in Perry would result in the unusual action by Iowa politicians. However, last week, Iowa House Republicans introduced a bill, House Study Bill 678, to allow teachers to be armed with guns. Predictably, their solution to gun violence is more guns. Apparently, those who promote arming school teachers believe a solution to school shootings is forcing all students and staff to be comfortable working and learning in a climate with guns. That is far from the truth. If teachers and administrators felt requiring adults in school to carry guns would make schools safer, wouldn't they be demanding this? They're not. Even five trained police officers employed by the Uvalde School District failed to stop the killing of 19 children. It's foolish to believe school teachers would be more effective. Those who advocate for guns in school belong to a culture that believes more guns make everyone safer. And guns are the solution, not part of the problem. Those who align with the culture of guns have made guns a part of their lifestyle. For those entrenched in the culture of guns, gun ownership goes beyond a shotgun or rifle for hunting. Carrying a gun is part of the family routine, and for many, just one gun isn't enough. Children in these families are accustomed to seeing guns. In fact, it's just part of their life. What politicians don't seem to understand, or refuse to accept, is that many Iowans are not part of this gun culture. This is especially true for teachers and students. For them, Guns aren't viewed as a source of comfort and safety. Guns are meant to be in the possession of soldiers and law enforcement, not their teachers. For them, guns elicit fear and anxiety. Minority students and those living in high-crime neighborhoods see firsthand the destruction guns bring to their neighborhoods. The message this legislation sends to students and teachers is that their schools aren't safe and, in response, they must accept the presence of guns. Isn't it enough that we have students as young as six years old enduring the trauma of active shooter safety drills? Do we really need to replicate the security measures of prisons to make children safe at school? Iowa is already grappling with an extreme teacher shortage, something Governor Kim Reynolds is finally trying to address 
with legislation to increase teacher pay. However, no increased pay will stem the tide of teachers exiting the profession when they're forced to accept a culture of guns in their school. How many of Iowa's young people will choose not to be a teacher, knowing their place of employment uses guns as an attempt to keep them safe? It's hard to think of another profession that forces employees to be part of the gun culture. But that's what's happening in Iowa. We're told Iowa will have a new motto that touts its extensive freedoms. But those freedoms are only extended to certain Iowans, a minority of people who embrace the culture of guns. These folks are afforded the freedom of near-unfettered access to guns. Yet, if this bill becomes law, teachers and students must forfeit their freedom to work and learn in an environment free of guns. Note, Steve Westerberg of Forest City served 40 years as a public school teacher and administrator. This editorial is from the Storm Lake Times pilot, written by John Cullen. Where's our fair share? For decades, Iowa had both Republicans and Democrats representing us in Congress. That served us well in getting our fair share of the federal largesse. Iowans had equal representation for many years in the Senate, with Republican Chuck Grassley balancing Democrats Dick Clark, John Culver, and Tom Harkin. In the House of Representatives, Democrats usually held at least two of our congressional districts. Our representatives also accumulated seniority so that regardless of who was in power, Iowa had a seat at the table. For example, Democrat Neil Smith represented Central Iowa in Congress for 36 years and saw to it that the Iowa State University became the leading agricultural institution in the world. Millions of dollars in federal research funds flowed into Ames through Republican and Democratic administrations alike. While Chuck Grassley made the conservatives happy with his crusades against expensive toilet seats in the military and other wasteful government spending, Tom Harkin, his Democratic counterpart, pleased liberals with his campaigns for disabled Americans and social justice. All Iowans were satisfied. Harkin was very good for Storm Lake in the heart of ruby-red northwest Iowa. He built the United Community Health Center here, helped restore Little Storm Lake, and created the Discovery Center Nature Preserve at the Little Lake. Even northwest Iowa bounced back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. Berkeley Bedell, the populist Democrat from Spirit Lake, was quite popular with all voters in his district from 1975 to 1987, until Lyme disease forced him to retire from Congress. Although two Republicans followed him, Fred Grandy and Tom Latham, they were moderates like Bedell, who enjoyed cross-party approval. Over the past decade, Iowa voters, in their infinite wisdom, have made Iowa a one-party state. Federal research money at Iowa State University is just a mere trickle of what it was when Neil Smith represented it. Our congressman, Randy Feenstra, is opposed to government spending. So when the infrastructure bill was enacted in 2021, 
designed to rebuild America's crumbling bridges, roads, and water systems, he declined to earmark any appropriations for his district. Likewise, with Storm Lake's critical water needs, since our members of Congress told President Biden to go to hell, local ratepayers are forced to foot the entire $93 million tab for critical water system improvements by ourselves. We send people to Congress to represent us, not to break us financially. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, February 14th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can listen to a recording of this reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state that we read. Just visit our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. Music